Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Road. Recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Hey guys, welcome back to our almost last episode of the season. Um, we are officially, what, three days, four days post NCAA, so the season is technically officially over. Ben and I took a few days to mostly me, mostly me recover <laughs> from making that six, six hour drive back home and then just kind of recovering from. You know, you'll laugh at me, but the physical beating that it is to do my job it is. down there. No, that's a real thing. Oh, it is just, I'm not joking you. I felt like a train hit me after the first day because not even the big 12s. Because, you know, at least at the big 12s, I can, the mats are right there. I don't have any limitations. Whereas for NCAAs, they're like, hey, you have to use the tunnels to get to the other side of the floor. So I, I think this is the hardest workout I've had in months <laughs> was the NCAA, <laughs> but yeah, Ben and I are back. We're here to talk about all things NCAAs, how Iowa state did all the crazy things that happened at the tournament, because a lot of them did, um, you know, Ben, I'll just start off. I'll start off by asking you, you know, how, how was it watching? Did you have to work? Did you have to do actual work? Uh, no, I didn't luckily. Um, my boss is very aware of my passion for wrestling. <laughs> so he's like, don't even worry about it. Stay at home, watch on TV. It's like, great. That's what I'm going to do. So, uh, I was able to take two, I don't know, vacation days, but I don't know what you want to call them two days to where I could just Thursday, Friday, sit on my couch and tweet about wrestling. And they were a phenomenal two days. Uh, the tournament, like you said, was awesome last year the tournament uh, the championships it was crazy in the sense that a lot of top ranked guys lost early there's a lot of early round upsets this year a lot of things went relatively chalk like there was still a few 25 beats the number seven seed in the first round things like that but all the surprising things of this tournament happened late in the tournament and oh boy were there some some moments this tournament Spencer Lee is obviously the big one. Him getting pinned by Matt Ramos of Purdue in the semifinals was, and you tweeted this as one of the most shocking wrestling results that you've ever seen. It's like, no, that's probably the most shocking wrestling result since Dan Gable lost in uh, whatever, 1973 or whatever that was when he was trying to become a three-time NCAA champion and he was undefeated, never lost. And he loses to some guy from like Oregon or Oregon state or something like that. So no, uh, you witnessed a historic wrestling moment this weekend. You know, it was, it was, it was really freaking nuts. There were a lot of words I would use, but we don't <laughs> want to upset fairway. Um, I was sitting up against like the B 
barrier or whatever. I was on the floor, you know, I was just waiting for Marcus Coleman and David Carr's matches. And of course, all the other guys that Iowa State had. So I was just sitting up against the wall, like just chilling. You know, I'm using this time to stay off my feet, not sit in an uncomfortable position. And when it, when Ramos got him to his back the first time I tweeted, I said, would, would the BOK center catch on fire? Spencer Lee lost. Like I, I was just being funny. Like I thought it would just be like a little funny. Ha ha guys. Like, would this happen? Because that arena was all Purdue fans. <laughs> Which really, really genuinely surprised me because I guess in like my little bubble in Iowa, you know, in in general, you don't tend to see very many people have this super passionate hate for Spencer Lee. I think in general, everyone has said like, oh yeah, we respect him. He's a very good athlete. He's going to do great things. So to like see, I don't know, what was it like nine, 10,000 people, maybe even more. I have the total somewhere. I think it was 19,000 for the finals. So semifinals have been a little bit less than that. So we'll say 17 to 18,000. I'm going to find the email because I want to make sure to give these attendance numbers justice because I do want to talk about just the atmosphere of being around so many wrestling fans. But it was just insanity. I It was one of those moments where you just black out because <laughs> at first I was like, ha like Spencer Lee got taken to his back and then it was like, Oh no, Spencer Lee's literally on his back. (laughs) This is not a joke. It was 15,694 for the blood round. And, um, yeah, it was like, once it, it was like, no, Matt Ramos literally has him on his back and this is going to happen. I shot up. I somehow ended up really close to the mat. I was like several feet away from it, ended up very close to it. I just like literally just tunnel vision. So I took out my phone. Cause I was like, Oh my God, people are going to want to see this. Like this arena is insane because I'm not kidding you. It, it probably was like, I don't know. 10,000 of those were cheering against him. And maybe the other five were Iowa fans. (laughs) Like, of course that's a made up. I'm making this up, but like, that's what it felt like. It was just, yeah, that was just insane. Like good on Matt Ramos. I think it was one of those where if it had been anyone else who he was wrestling, it might've maybe been a little different, but because it's (laughs) this kid from Purdue who got pinned in two minutes by Spencer in the beginning in whatever time they wrestled in the season, I, I don't know what month that was, but like, yeah, I don't care what Matt Ramos was ranked. Everyone has consistently been calling the 125 class the weakest, saying that this is yeah. going to be a cakewalk for Spencer. It's just going to be, you know, we're going to witness him become a four time NCAA champion, which I was mentally prepared for. I told you before I left, I can't wait to witness that. That's going to be so historic. But just kidding, I witnessed something more historic. Yeah, that was an incredible moment. And like, I'm a Spencer Lee fan pretty through and through. I like Spencer Lee a lot. By all accounts, he's a really good kid. He's a phenomenal wrestler. And what he does on the mat, not many people can do. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate him like no other. And I think part of the reason it sounded like 11,000, 10,000 people were cheering against him kind of was the moment was just so thrilling when it happened. Like I stood up, I was screaming, it's like, oh my gosh, this is happening, this is <laughs> happening. And like, so if I was in the arena, it would have sounded like I was cheering 
against Spencer or for Matt Ramos. When in reality, that's not really hap- what's happening. I'm cheering for the moment. Like what's happening right now is insane. And I don't really know how to process my emotions. So I'm just going to make a lot of loud sounds. Yeah. And so it was, it was so cool to see that. Not, not for Spencer. I, I legitimately, I like Spencer Lee, but it was awesome. Like there's no way around it. And the fact that you got to witness it was incredible. I'm sure. So, uh, that, and that just kind of started, that was the, that was the high point of the craziness, but then there's Mm -hmm. a few things in the finals too, where it's just like, Whoa, didn't expect that to happen. So no, it was a very fun tournament. Someone, I don't remember who said it or where I saw it, but someone made this comment and it was like, yes, Spencer Lee losing is, you know, a travesty to the opportunity he had in front of him. That was to become a four-time NCAA champion, but it's losses like Spencer Lee's and wins like Matt Ramos that make other athletes believe in like the unbelievable, which is just so cheesy, but it's so true. And I think this entire tournament was such a testament to that because I was telling Ben, I think some of my favorite moments were seeing things that, you know, history was telling us weren't going to happen. Pat glory for Princeton. He's um, their first national champion in 72 years. And then you have Northern Colorado who has their first finalist in over 50 years. And you have Andrew. Oh gosh. We tried to properly pronounce his name earlier. We should have listened to the interviews. Um, Andrew Aliris. That's it. That's correct. I can't pronounce it. I always say Aliris, but I, for some reason I can't (laughs) make the I the correct sort of I. So listen to how Jackie says it. She has it right. I was going to say, maybe it's my Spanish. I mean, it's because it probably is. That probably helps you. I can't, I can't make that I sound for some reason. He, uh, he went into his, um, interview after he won in the semifinals and he said, I'm willing to die in there (laughs) for his uh, championship match. And it's just, it's, it was so fun. It was so exciting to see people who history was saying they weren't going to do it and they did it. And it was just like, that was probably one of my favorite parts was just, um, what I was telling Ben and something I was reflecting on, on my six hour drive was that it's just something so special that we get as wrestling fans and as wrestlers and as, you know, just wrestling media, just everyone in wrestling that we get the best of the best over the course of three days in one place. Like in this one arena, the best athletes in college wrestling this season and really from other years, because obviously they, people come back, they're fans, they come and do, I mean, Jordan Burroughs was on the, was he on the ESPN show? He was on ESPN broadcast. Yep. Yeah. Like the greatest of the greatest are in there and you have these guys who maybe you have teams who only got one, one person that qualified one person who qualified for the first time in, I don't know, so many years, you know, everyone is just in this one room and it doesn't matter. Everyone's there to compete. And that is just so special. And I just, I felt that on Friday during the blood round. I was like, this is incredible. (laughs) Like nobody else will get this. How many people are going to go and sit at a college uh, playoff game if their team doesn't make it? Or how many people are really going to wake up and say, I'm getting an elite eight ticket if their team isn't playing, you're just not, you're going to watch these incredible basketball players, these incredible football players on TV until they move on to the pros. And in wrestling, you just have to buy a ticket for the, one of the three days and you'll witness it. 
And that's just, that was my favorite part. I just walked out of it feeling very like high on just how much I love this sport. So I think those were my yeah, highlights. And to add to that point, because it, it's a phenomenal point, wrestling is so unique in that way where if you go to the football example, there's a playoff, sure, but it happens weekly and it's only two teams at a time. With wrestling, it's 33 guys at every single weight. There's 333 guys, the 330 are 330 best guys at every throughout all weights. And man, it's it's so cool to watch and witness. Um, and like Jackie said, if there was a final four going on and you're an Iowa state fan and Iowa state's not in it, you're not going to buy a ticket. There's no reason to because Iowa state's done it. And there's only two teams playing both wrestling. It's all, it's everyone who's qualified, which you just usually most of the teams see, uh, even if there's only a handful of Northern Colorado, um, wrestlers in it, you get a guy like Andrew Alvarez. Thank you. <laughs> and suddenly they might only have 500 or if that fans there, but suddenly in that finals, when it's just him and another guy, he probably has half or over half the arena rooting for him. And that's awesome. That's so cool. You don't get that in any other sport because if it's Duke and North Carolina, in the championship game in basketball, there's not going to be a, an Iowa <laughs> state or Kansas fan that cares. We're not going to cheer for him. But when it's Northern Colorado guy in the finals, half the arena is going to cheer for him. And when he wins, and besides the team of the guy he beat, everyone is going to cheer for him. And even probably a fair number of the fans of the team he did beat, they'll cheer for him too, because they respect what he's done and what he did. There's such a level of respect in the sport of wrestling too, that I think makes it really, really special because we talked about Spencer Lee getting pinned. And I think that's another part of the reason why it did get so loud when it did is wrestling fans understand what Matt Ramos just did. Like this was not supposed to happen. But let's say Spencer Lee does win that match. He does become a finalist, wins his fourth national championship. That ovation would have been just as loud as when he got pinned because wrestling fans understand the respect and the that whole part of the sport so, so well that Yanni, when he won his fourth, it got loud and people showed the respect because Yanni became the fifth four-time NCAA champion. And that's just, it's a thing that never doesn't happen. doesn't happen very often at all. So to see it and witness it happen, there's a level of respect in wrestling that I love that wrestling fan show. Someone quote tweeted, um, I think, I think it was a quote tweet or they responded like wrestlers are so weird. And I don't think he meant it in a, like a genuine, like, Oh, they're weird. I think he was speaking from like a wrestling fans perspective of the way David and Keegan just had such good sportsmanship between them. Um, after Keegan beat car, which we'll get into, but I mean, you saw that everywhere. And this is another thing I reflected on is that this is one of the reasons I love wrestling so much because it's, it's a team sport, but it's an individual sport and you see the importance of them in those different moments. Right. And at NCAAs, I mean, it's hard not to have sportsmanship. Like, sure, in basketball, you shake hands, you know, and, and in football, they do it on the field after. You don't tend to see it because the cameras are off, but guys are on the field hugging and, you know, comforting each other in those moments. But I just witnessed it 
so much throughout the tournament in a way you don't see it. And I think it comes exactly from what you just said. It's the respect and the understanding of just how freaking hard it is. Like when Zach Redding lost, his guy sat there and like immediately wanted to shake his hand in like a comforting way, you know? And it's just so cool to see. I'm a total softy. So this is what I looked forward to was also seeing all these emotions. Um, like you said, for Yanni, sometimes I feel like you expect people to start clearing out, you know, cause it's like one, you either your guy's already out, he lost early. I mean, they reset the order of the finals to end with Yanni since he was wrestling for that fourth title, but the stands were full. Everyone was there ready to give him that standing ovation. And it was awesome. And I also got to sit in the back hall when I was working to start hearing those guys start coming back there as they were losing that, that broke me. Cause again, I'm a total softy. So you're hearing guys crying. You're hearing guys throw their headgear. And it's just so sad because again, it's one of those moments where it's like, once that bell or bell, <laughs> this is now arena wrestling. You know what I mean? <laughs> once they hear the whistle, it's like, it's over. Some of these guys' careers are over in seven minutes. And so to be in the back hall and witness them processing it, it was just, it was like a very bittersweet, like, wow, this is such a passionate sport, but also like, I'm going to go cry now in the bathroom because I'm so <laughs> sad for this guy. Like watching the Elam brothers come through the back hall. I was like, dang, I'm, I think I'm an Elam brothers fan. <laughs> like. I just, I fell for them. It was so fun. There's just so much emotion in this tournament and I never want to not go. I want to go every single year. <laughs> like I never want to stop going is the takeaway I got no matter how tired I was. Yeah. It is legitimately the best sporting event I've ever been to. And I've been to some pretty high profile sporting events. Uh, New year six bowl games, NCAA basketball tournaments, both men's and women's I've been to, NFL games, major league baseball games, pick, pick whatever you want. I've been to a fair number of high level events. Obviously Iowa, Iowa state games, Iowa state, Kansas games, both home and away for both of them. Just these things that are put on a pedestal and the NCAA wrestling tournament goes so far past it all. It is legitimately it needs to be a bucket list thing for sports fans, not even wrestling fans. If you're a wrestling fan, obviously go, but sports fans in general, they need to go and experience it because it is unlike anything else. Like NCAA basketball tournament is cool. You might get a relatively full arena in the first couple rounds, second round, sweet 16, elite eight type of stuff. You'll get a full arena of, you know, 18, 19, 20,000 people, but it's not remotely close to the same. It might get kind of loud, but it doesn't compare to wrestling. Wrestling, you can feel the passion. You can feel the raw emotion of it, and it is truly unmatched. And if, like I said, if you're a sports fan, put it on your bucket list. It's going to be in Kansas City next year. Go. Yeah. Buy a ticket to Friday night. Go experience the blood round, and then go get drunk at Power and Light. <laughs> yeah. Like you want to do it anyways. <laughs> like just like Iowa State fans it. need another excuse to go to power and light. Like this is built in for you. This yeah, is exactly. David Carr's last ticket. season. Like David Carr's last season. Why the heck not guys? <laughs> Why the heck not? It's a three hour drive. No. Yeah. If I, if I had to rank it, it truly, for me, it goes Minneapolis miracle. Number one, that was the craziest thing I've ever witnessed. 
has to stay there. I cried. (laughs) That's fair. As a Vikings fan, I very much understand that. (laughs) I still cry. I'm not kidding you. I can't even watch the highlights or like the videos of the fans. I just get so emotional. (laughs) Um, So truly it goes Minneapolis miracle Friday of NCAAs and then the Super Bowl. (laughs) So yeah, I, I think I texted C-Dub or I texted someone and I said, I would rather, or it might've been you. I would rather relive like 10 blood rounds before I ever go back to a Super Bowl again. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. And it's not even like a dramatic, like, oh, I'm just obsessed with wrestling. It was just, yeah, it was a very like the atmosphere. It feels different. Like legitimately, yeah. it feels so different than any other sporting event you've ever been to. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it was so fun to be in an arena full of wrestling fans. Like I looked up to the rafters and it was just filled to the brim. And it just feels so good because it's like wrestling as a whole fights so hard to just bring people to the sport, to bring people to watch these athletes. Maybe not so much Iowa and Penn State, you know, much deserving. They work, they've worked for it, but like it just felt so good. And it, it just, it finally kind of all brought it together for me. You know, you listen to these guys talk about it so much and this is what they work for. This is what they look forward to. And it just, it felt good to experience it, I guess. Like I said, I think I, I knew, I obviously knew this cause I'm in it, but I think finally sitting there, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is different. <laughs> so Ben, pack your bags. You're going to Kansas City next year. I'm 100% going. I, I, <laughs> whether or not I get a credential, I'd obviously like one. So we'll see if I can get one of those. But even if I don't, I will be there for every single session. I'll get a three-night hotel stay in one of the Kansas City hotels, and you know, I'll have a grand old time. My dad oh. will want to come, so I'll, I'll take, sure. he'll take along with me. <laughs> I'm sure we can get you a credential. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. If anything, I'm sure people would love it if you tweet in because there I don't have enough hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I I'm not kidding you guys. I wish you could have seen me because I just constantly had every. I should look at this up. I wanted to look up my phone usage while I was there because I don't think my phone was ever out of my hand. I don't think I ever didn't have the adapter in my phone so that I could be transferring pictures to share on Twitter as things were happening. It was just, I physically had like the little like tripod I used to hold my phone. I had it on me at all times. It was just, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be great. But anyways, (laughs) enough rambling about the tournament as a whole, because Iowa State did indeed compete. Um, They had eight qualifiers. And overall, Iowa State finished the tournament in 11th place place. Um, with 417 points, this was Iowa state's best placement since 2013 and their highest team score in the tournament since 2010. I'm sure people don't feel the accomplishment (laughs) that comes with it. I think the expectation, and this is my biggest critique of them is that, yeah, they definitely should have finished in the top 10. Um, I think the thing was they had, you know, they had Casey Swiderski and Panero Johnson not place who people were expecting to place. And then you had guys like Zach Redding and Jason Kreiser who did, who exceeded expectations. Um, and then, you know, your upper weight's kind of a little topsy-turvy there. So I think overall, I wish they would have finished in the top 10. But overall, I think the one I was the most 
I don't know if surprise is the, the word, but I had different expectations for Sam Skyler. <laughs> yeah. So. I think that's all fair. I, expectations are a weird thing. He's going into this. My expectations were top 10 finish. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I don't want to say it was, I thought it was a foregone conclusion, but I thought it was pretty close to a foregone conclusion that Iowa State would be a top 10 team. But then when you put it in perspective of the last, since 2013, that's 2010, it's like, okay, I mean, sure, in that respect, they finished well. But you also can see that they didn't live up to some of the potential. Like, Sam Schuyler had a relatively tough draw, unfortunately for him. And he had a call go very much against him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he didn't become an All-American. And that was one Going in the tournament, it's like, okay, Sam Skyler probably going to be an All-American. Younger Bastida, 13 seed, didn't have a great big 12s. If he's got his mind right, has a real good shot at being an All-American. Again, a call didn't go his way in one of the matches. Those are things that sometimes you just have to overcome as a competitor. But, boy, it's hard not to look back on those and be like, oh, boy, if those both get called, both those guys are probably still wrestling on the front side of the bracket. So, better shot at All-American. So that's tough. That's really tough. Guys like Casey Swiderski, to me, he really out-wrestled what I expected him to. Him and Zach Redding, to me, had the best tournament. Nah, that's not probably not true. Had among the best tournaments for <laughs> Iowa State. Yeah. Zach Redding was great. For him to Phenomenal. be a run of 12 guy <laughs> was incredible because early in the season, he was having ups and downs. He was getting pinned by guys from Cal Baptist. <laughs> No, no offense to Cal Baptist, but <laughs> you shouldn't get pinned by a guy from Cal Baptist. So he was getting pinned by guys from Cal Baptist. He was having up and down near him. It's like, oh boy, we'll see what happens here. Once Ramazan got hurt and all that. It's like, okay, well, Zach, you're the guy. We'll see what happens. He had a real good big 12s, was a finalist in big 12. It's like, all right, we'll see. And then NCAs becomes round of 12 guy, loses in the blood round, one went away from being an All-American. That is a really good round from a guy who's a sophomore. I think we kind of forget that because he wrestled as a true freshman during the COVID year, so we think mm-hmm. he's older than he is. But this guy's just a sophomore. Iowa State's going to get him for two more years. Um, so I liked Zach Redding's tournament a lot. Casey Swiderski, pretty similar, right? Up and down year, started real strong. Then he went on like his six-match losing streak or whatever it was during the middle of the year. Yeah. Comes back has a pretty good Big Twelve tournament, and then this uh, this tournament, man, he seemed to really start to figure things out. Um, obviously, his pin um, against who was that? That was Vince um, Cornea from Cornell getting that pin in uh, six minutes forty eight seconds, only twelve seconds left in the match. He was down seven to three or eight to three or whatever it was. It was hits the three. cement mixer, uh, gator roll, and puts him on his back. Gets the pin, and then I think it was you had an interview with Metcalf or Dresser after that. Maybe it was St. John. It was one of the three coaches. He had a lot of interviews this weekend um, where they said Sperdusky <laughs> was a takedown machine in this tournament. And he was, he went four, one decision, in his first match, seven, three decision, in the second match fall in his third, then 10, five in his fourth match. He scored 10 points in his fourth match. So he, in the middle of the season, he was getting to some offense, but he wasn't always finishing his shots. I think in this tournament, he started to figure out how to finish some of these shots. And, um, he looked really promising. Even the match, his final match, his round of 12 match against Parker Phileas of Purdue. If I remember right, 
he was leading in that match before he got pinned similar to how Cronea pinned him. It wasn't a cement mixer, but Spurgerski, I want to say was leading four to three when that happened. I could be wrong about that, but he was in that match and he had a real shot at winning it. That I know for sure. Then unfortunately Mm -hmm. got taken down and got pinned, but um, I liked what I saw out of Casey Spurgerski this weekend. I think he is just like inches away from it. And I think it, Coach said it a lot this weekend that it's just, it's his emotions. It's a lot with his emotions. And I asked Metcalf about it at big 12s and he said the same thing. And I really think that it's, it truly is just going to come with maturity and more time in the room and more matches under his belt. Because I think as someone who can say, maybe I feel a lot of emotions too. <laughs> oh, dude, when you get so over Tate, like overwhelmed with emotions, I can't imagine trying to compose my emotions sometimes, especially in that type of match. This is why I don't think I was ever an athlete. Like I try, people ask me all the time, why didn't you wrestle? I'd probably punch someone because <laughs> I'd be so overwhelmed with my emotions. But I think, I think the thing with Casey is you can't look at, those frustrating losses, especially ones where you're like, Oh, he could have done it. He was one takedown away. He, he, you're right. He was one takedown away, but he's going to figure that out. I have no, 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 no stress, no worries about his talent and how he's going to develop. I think it's just going to take time. He's a true freshman. These are things that majority of true freshmen go through. The only difference is they redshirted and we didn't watch it. We just watched them wrestle unattached to tournaments, right? So, and unfortunately yeah. for Casey, we're watching him wrestle it live when it matters the most. And that's when everyone's like all grumpy about it. But no, I thought, you know, I think if anything, and this goes the same for Zach Redding, the wonders this is going to do for their confidence and how they go back and train this summer and how they prepare to go into next season when. You know, coach comes to us and tells us all 10 weights are having wrestle-offs. <laughs> I think I think that this, it's going to show up. I think they're going to show up and it's going to show. I think someone like Zach Redding, I I think I asked coach. I was like, did he surprise you? And of course, coach says, no, I know he's a hard worker. <laughs> but he surprised me. Zach Redding surprised me. And I think Casey Swiders, he's just right there. And those two, I think will come back even stronger next season. I'm very excited to see how Casey turns this around and I'm excited to see Zach Redding. Cause you know, Zach Redding will have to go and battle for that spot. Now, you know, um, is it Evan Frost? One of the twins. I think yeah, it's Evan. One, of the, one of the Frost twins, Evan or Jacob Frost. One of those two. Yeah. I think Evan's the 133 pounder and then Ramazan, I assume, you know, I'm, I'm excited. It was very fun to see how Zach turned around, you know, maybe struggling a little bit to cut weight and, probably struggling in practice from cutting weight. I was very impressed with how he turned it around. So that that's my take on those two. Um, I know Panero Johnson was definitely, I think the shocking one. Um, and yep. I, I think if he hadn't finished as a big 12 champion, people wouldn't have felt the way they did about how he lost, but it's hard. I, to Yeah it's hard to come out of becoming a big 12 champion as a freshman and then losing in the consolation round feeling. Yeah. That's really tough. Panero had a a tough tournament. Like you said, when you're a big 12 champion and you beat a guy like Brock Mahler in the championship pretty convincingly, and you have some other really good wins under your belt from during the year, people have expectations of you 
to make a good run. Like I, to be frank, expected Panera Bearman to be around a 12 guy, probably an All-American. That Those were my mm-hmm. expectations for him coming into the tournament because he was a Big 12 champion. He proved he could do it in a tournament setting. That was my mindset going in. And I think his first match, you could kind of see that things were not quite right. I don't know what it was or why, but his first match against um, Alec Hagan of Ohio went to tiebreakers two to two. And that's not a match that should go to tiebreakers for Panero Johnson. Alec Hagan was a 20 something seed. That's, that's one that I'd like to see Panero win eight to two or 10 to three, pick a number up there, something Mm -hmm. like that. So there's right there. It's like, okay, it's something's, I don't know if pressure got to him. I don't know what it was. I didn't talk to him. But something something wasn't quite right. Second match, Shane Van Ness from Penn State. During the year, he beat Van Ness. I think it was three to two. It was a low scoring match. Um, Panero, that was the time of the year where he kind of got a name for being a really good defensive wrestler, really hard to take down, things like that. Right off the bat, Shane Van Ness hits a double leg, puts Panero on his back for six points, and it was too much of a hole to crawl out of Panero tried to come back and ended up being 14 to eight. And that six point move at the very beginning ended up being the difference. So you started to see Panero come a little bit in that, but still getting down six points. It's hard to come back from that. And then again, he kind of got screwed in his draw. Doug Zapp from Penn is really good. I think he was number nine seed. So he's getting Doug, Doug Zapp on the backside of the bracket and loses that one, three to two. And it's just, it's a tough tournament for Panero. I, you feel for the guy because he's a true freshman, but my expectations were more than that. So that's going to be one where you hope it motivates him during the off season. Swiderski and Redding are going to have different type of motivation. They're going to have the motivation of, I was a step away. I was a move away, a takedown away from reaching my goals. Panero is going to have the motivation of, boy, I didn't get as close as I needed to, to accomplish my goals. And I'm going to have to work that much harder. So uh, Panero obviously has the talent, right? This is an explosive wrestler. Mm-hmm. He's going to be more athletic than 99% of the guys he steps on the mat with. I think it's going to be a little bit about, I don't know if it was pressure again, but to me, it, it feels like the moment got to him. So uh, he's going to have to work on that mental part of the game. That's one where a guy like David Carr, dresser said this, Panero and David on road trips room together and dresser said this hoping that David's mindset kind of rubs off on Panero. And I think that's probably part of it. We always see the confident side of Panero, but I'm wondering if sometimes pressure doesn't get to him. That's maybe why he never won a Pennsylvania state titles. The pressure kind of got to me. He's hoping David and that whole thing would rub off on him. And so that's all pure speculation on my part, by the way, but I, I could see that being a thing. So um, I'm interested to see how Panero comes back from this. Yeah, I honestly just, I feel everything you said. Definitely watching him in that last match, it just it just looked like he was defeated. He, I mean, after he lost, he immediately went to the side. It's one of those where, you know, usually coaches hustle the guys straight to the back to get out of the way, get out of a fan's, you know, view. And Panero couldn't. He immediately dropped to the floor. Coach kind of had to hunch down with him and talk him through. I couldn't hear it. I was too far away, so I can't tell you I heard anything. But he obviously took that really hard. And Panero has obviously shown that he's very driven by the smack talk and the doubting. 
And so, yeah, I look forward to what he does over the summer and what we see out of him next season. Like you said, I agree. I think it's going to look different from the way maybe Casey's going to do it. But in the end, I mean, Casey and Pinero have also shown they have a really great relationship yeah. with each other. And Pinero is the one that told Casey, like, you wrestle your best when everyone doubts you the most. And I mean, getting that pin eight to three, he was down eight to three. No, and no offense to Casey. I'd already, I, I'd put my camera down. I was like, well, I had my tweet set up saying, no, oh, Casey's Casey lost. <laughs> he, had, he had a good tournament, but yeah, I, I had put my camera down. And thankfully shot that one right back up and got that shot of him celebrating. <laughs> but no, I think, I think the, I think the comeback's going to be good. And I think we just got very lucky to see them put on the performances they did. And I'll say this about Casey. I am excited to see him just come back even scrappier because we've always talked about how Iowa state's lineup is for the most part, pretty, I mean, even keeled, they don't tend to talk a lot of smack. They're they're Panero and Casey are definitely the ones that have that ego that, you know, is very showy, very loud in the room, which I appreciate. This isn't a diss at all. This is a good thing. This is positive. And when we were watching some of the other reporters and I were watching, I think it was the semifinals and real woods was just being real woods out there. And all I was thinking was I can't wait for them to come to Ames and watch (laughs) him and Casey go at it again, because I just, I love when they're scrappy guys up against Iowa. You need it. it makes it more fun. Um, but switching gears to another guy who exceeded expectations, Jason Kreiser, cardiac Kreiser. <laughs> I just want, I wish I could have been with you, Ben, when he, um, pinned Caden Jafeller. I wish I could have seen your reaction because all I that got was, was awesome. the text. <laughs> I unfortunately was. <laughs> I was unfortunately on the opposite side of the floor, so I wasn't able to be there. So I didn't even know he had won by pin until I got to the back. So I was very upset I wasn't there for it. But I think, talk about peaking at the right time. I feel like Jason Kreiser went and took all of this advice, listened to us talk smack about him for weeks, and turned it all around. I feel like him and St. John just really, really went at it in the wrestling room and figured out how to stay true to his scrambles, how to continue to just be really unexpected for these guys and come out on top of it instead of finding himself getting caught on his back or finding himself not be able to get out from bottom. Was it you that tweeted only Jason Kreiser would end up on his back or something? <laughs> yeah. Only Jason Kreiser would put himself on a, on his back on purpose during a scramble. Yeah. And I just, he's just one of those guys where it's like, regardless of you're trying to be unbiased covering the team, you just got to root for the guy. I've said it before, golden retriever energy. I was very happy to see him just get wins that maybe people weren't really expecting from him. I would have been very happy to see him exceed expectations and go do something crazy. Like, you know, becoming all American, that would have been fun to witness, but no, th- that was fun. He made, I think he definitely made it fun. Cause then you kind of look forward to, well, what's he going to do next? Um, and I think this same thing for Redding, same thing for him. I think this is going to do wonders to his, um, confidence. It's going to make him maybe work 
even harder going into next season. Cause then it's like, you got to taste what it feels like to win in the biggest stages. Um, and that's just a, I think it's a very different type of fuel when you know exactly what it feels like to win where instead of just thinking, Oh, I want to go win. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Absolutely. No, I think that's huge. Uh, Kreiser was a guy that I was not expecting maybe I was expecting a team point from him win a match or a half a team point, lose his first match and then win one on the backside. He ended up getting three team points for Iowa state, which helps. So similar to Panero Johnson, Panero Johnson's first match, you kind of see, Oh boy, this isn't, yeah, this isn't the Panero we want to see. Kreiser was the opposite. He took um, a top 10 Ed Scott, a five, three decision. He was a takedown away from it. You could tell Ed Scott was a little nervous toward the end of that match. Because when, again, when you're in a scram, when you're, when you're against a scrambly guy like Jason Kreiser, Oh boy, what's going to happen next. So that kind of got the ball rolling, even though I lost in a positive direction for Kreiser and second match, seven, two convincing decision over Tommy Askey. I think he wrote him either the entire second or third period or something like that. Just really put it to him. And then like Jackie said, in the beginning of this, him pinning Caden Jafeller of Oklahoma state <laughs> felt incredible because he'd never beaten Jafeller, right? He had always gotten beat seven to two, 10 to one. He never really got close to beating Jafeller and for Kreiser to pin him in the first period, Oh, that was fun. That was enjoyable. And Oklahoma state, we didn't talk about this during our oh, general yeah. tournament recap, but uh, Oklahoma state had a really rough tournament. They did very, very, very poorly. Like if you're feeling bad about how Iowa state did, I'll help you a little bit. Oklahoma state <laughs> finished tied for 18th with air force with 28 and a half points. Again, for reference, Iowa state finished with 47. So almost double the amount of points for Iowa state. And right below Oklahoma State was Lehigh. Two below them was Northern Colorado, 26 points. So Northern Colorado, which, again, they did have a national champion. Shout out to Andrew Elrias. I can't pronounce his name. Sorry, Elrias. <laughs> they were only a two and a half points away from Oklahoma State, which traditionally is a top five team. So uh, we can shout out to Jason Kreiser for making Oklahoma State having an even worse tournament than they already did. I wonder if John Smith was in the corner. That is a good question. I don't know. <laughs> do you want to talk about David now, or do you want to hit the others before we get to David? <laughs> let's let's save David for the end. All right. Let's let's look at younger and Sam Schuyler. Younger. I don't even know that there's a long discussion to be had. I think coach all, I think all of the coaches have been pretty consistent in that it's been more of a mental battle for him. Of course, what that means, I don't know. I didn't really like get like a, here's a list of what things he's mentally battling with. I know he was also dinged up. Coach did say that both coaches have said that in the past few weeks. And I think when you have something mentally really getting in the way of your wrestling, it's only going to make those physical um, barriers, I think, worse. I mean, otherwise, why do you see guys like Spencer Lee wrestle with no ACLs, right? Because they're mentally sound some, somehow. <laughs> and I think that's just what it is with Younger. I don't think we're going to find out necessarily 
today or in a week or two, I think this might be a discussion we have come October. Um, when we re-meet with the team for the new season, but whatever mental hurdles he was going through with big 12s and NCAAs clearly just made him a different guy. It was like, there were moments, there were periods in some matches where I was like, okay, he looks a little more of like himself. He's looks a little more dominant. looks like he's kind of fighting for it a little more. And then in others, again, he just looks so defeated and so unlike himself. (laughs) So, yeah. And so younger, again, similar to Panero, if you had asked me before the tournament, younger, but all Americans like, yeah, probably pretty good shot in all American. Now his path was more difficult than I expected it to be in all fairness. Um, mm-hmm. He won his first match against Evan Bachman who beat him in the last match of the big 12 championship. So that was a good win. Five, two decision. The second match was against number four, Ethan Laird, I think from Ryder. And that was a match. So we're going to talk about Sam Schuyler here in a little bit, but there was a challenge in that match where younger Bastida got a takedown, but the ref awarded the takedown before younger um, secured it. So rider coaches were able to challenge that. And because the ref called it too soon, the takedown didn't count. And that hurts a lot because younger got the takedown, right? I mean, he didn't get it when the ref said he did, but he got it literally three seconds later. So the takedown is wiped off the board and he ends up losing that match three to one. If he gets that takedown, boy, it sure looks like he wins or not wins, but goes to sudden victory at the very least. So that one hurts against number four wrestler. And then against Michael Beard from Lehigh, he loses that one two to one. And that's another one where it's just like beard again is one of these top 10 guys. So it's not like younger was losing to 20 ranked guys or even 15 ranked guys. He was losing to top 10 guys. So not bad losses necessarily, but both of those are ones where it was like, Oh boy, if younger's feeling good or if a call goes a different way, probably wins both those matches and he's an all American. So um, kind of a disappointing tournament, but it, when you look at it closely, you can understand why he lost. It's just one of those like, oh, you, you you see the talent, you see the raw talent. It's just like, come on, you can get there. And unfortunately, he couldn't quite this tournament. Yeah, I like I said, and so many wrestlers and coaches say this. At the end of the day, wrestling's ninety percent mental, ten percent physical, and. If you're just not all the way there mentally, it's just not really even going to matter how good of a wrestler you are. And I think that's kind of what we saw with younger again. I I think he'll be fine. I'm not, I guess, too concerned about it only because I've seen, we've all seen what he's capable of and what he can do. Um, So I'm definitely curious to see how those conversations go um, later on. Um, I guess I shouldn't say we won't talk about it because I did just get a text back that Ben and I have one more episode left this season and we will be joined by Brent Metcalf. So we'll we'll have to discuss this with Brent Metcalf who, you know, can talk about it as his coach and probably talk about it as a wrestler himself who had a very distinguished career maybe can walk us through some of those things that we might not know ourselves <laughs> just a little plug yeah. <laughs> he just well, texted me and back. i mean that's awesome so first of all shout out to brett metcalf but his reputation as a wrestler was his mentality was the thing that separated him like he was a crazy person on the mat 
And that's what separated him from his opponents. So that, I mean, that could be a really good conversation with him. Just, we don't, we can talk about Panero and younger if we really want to, but just generally speaking, the mindset that you need to have as an elite level wrestler day in and day out and how taxing that can be. I'm sure in the moment when he was doing it, it probably felt normal and things like that. But if he were to look back on it, it's like, Hey, did that, what was, what was it like having that mentality for four whole years? Because that has to, it has to be tiring to be a crazy person for four <laughs> years because Brett Metcalf, the coach and Brett Metcalf, the wrestler are two completely different things. Oh, for sure. So, uh, that'll be a really fun conversation. I'm excited that, uh, Brent has, uh, agreed to join us. That'll be a really fun one. But then Sam Schuyler, just to get back on track a little bit, Yes, man, this is the one that hurt the most for me because Sam yep. is uh, similar to Jason Kreiser, one of the nicest guys. And mm-hmm. an, coach dresser said this, I think in every interview he's ever had an opportunity to maybe the hardest worker on the team. And it, it just feels so good when a nice guy who works hard gets rewarded with something. And unfortunately for Sam, I'm just going to say it. He got screwed by a ref. I don't like blaming officials for calls like younger, like him losing. It wasn't, unfortunately the ref called it too soon, but younger could have had other opportunities. Sam got screwed. Um, in his second match against Lucas Davison from Northwestern, Sam was getting ridden. His arm got trapped, right? So Lucas trapped his arm and slammed him on the map. That is by rule an illegal slam. Sam got hurt. Like, I don't know if it's a dislocated shoulder or what, but the trainers worked on his shoulder for a long time after that. And um, he was not an awarded a point. An illegal slam should be a point for Sam Schuyler. The ref did not give him a point. I don't think it's a reviewable thing, so they didn't review it. And that point would have been the difference between maybe not winning and losing, but have been the point, the difference of losing and sudden victory. They should, that match should have gone to sudden victory had that point been called. So that hurts a lot. If he wins that match, um, gets the quarterfinals and his path to becoming an all American is quite a bit easier. Unfortunately, he goes to the backside of the tournament after that. He wins two straight, which is great, but then he meets Trent Hilger, um, in the blood round and loses that one three to one in sun victory. And boy, that one hurt too, because Trent Hilger, um, was Sam Schuyler's essentially first opponent of the season. Not quite, but Iowa state wrestled Wisconsin and their first dual meet type thing of the year after they, in that whole battle for battle for river city thing at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And that was when Sam Schuyler made a name for himself this year. Like, Hey, he just beat Trent Hilger returning two time or three time all American, whatever he is. And Sam Schuyler is going to be a guy this year. And throughout the year, Sam Schuyler proved he was a guy. He proved he was a guy. He kept beating guys, kept beating top 10 guys, kept beating all Americans. And it's like, okay, Sam Schuyler's going to do something in the tournament. And uh, tragic poetry, unfortunately, Trenton Hilker beats him three, one in sun victory. And it was on Sam Schuyler shot. Sam essentially shot Hilger out of bounds. They didn't quite go out of bounds and Hilger was able to circle around, secure the takedown sun victory and win the match. And all oh, that hurt so bad because you understand why Sam was doing it. Trenton Hilger is really good on top. If that goes to tiebreakers and Sam doesn't win the coin flip, if we're being honest, he's probably going to lose. I'm sure that was in his mind. He's got to get a takedown, send victory to clinch. This doesn't want to go to tiebreakers. So 
man, that one hurt a lot because Sam's such an easy guy to root for. And he did phenomenal things for Iowa State as a senior. Sure, he didn't become an All-American, but he did some really, really good things for the Cyclones this year. Well, and for reference, Sam Schuyler went from a guy who qualified for the NCAAs through an at-large bid. That's when he felt he had finally gotten enough to transfer. That's that is what kind of started the trickle effect for him to want to transfer out. And he he told me when I had a one on one with him that the plan was always to transfer from Buffalo because he knew he wanted to try and wrestle for a bigger program. And so he took himself from being this guy who only got into the tournament through an at large to a number 10 seeded. What was he a number eight seed? I think was his seed. Yeah, he was the eight seed, and Lucas Davison was the nine seed, which, again, is ridiculous because Davison was the number four-ranked wrestler throughout the entire year. And because he lost to the Cassiope, Paris, and um, Kirkfleet in the Big Tens, he somehow drops to a nine seed, which makes no sense. That guy should have been a four or five seed, but that's I'm getting on a different tangent there. So I was going to say, Skyler I think got we screwed could... pretty much through <laughs> and through. <laughs> yeah. So Sam Schuyler's just growth has been incredible for this program. And when I asked dresser what Schuyler meant to this program, like Ben brought up, it all came back to his hard work. His hard work is what those young guys needed to see. And it's what they needed to really, you know, lead by example. And like you said, Sam Skyler's just an easy guy to root for. He's funny. I enjoyed listening to him talking weekly availabilities when we did get him because you could just tell there was <laughs> zero media training. <laughs> None. Because you, I think even if Andy tried, I don't think you could get Sam Skyler to be anything but himself. And he was definitely really fun to cover the past two years and – um, I'm sad to see it end. I'm, I just love watching heavyweights. And so obviously excited to see what Iowa State can produce next at that weight. But yeah, watching, watching Sam Schuyler just punch the mat once, once he lost was very mm. heartbreaking. It was very heartbreaking. It really sucked. But I mean, by the time the title matches rolled around, you know, he was walking around, he was smiling, he was laughing. Him and Ben Durbin were running around. <laughs> so at least you guys can know that he was at least smiling by the end. <laughs> um, which if we keep on moving, Marcus Coleman also officially closed out his cyclone career six years. He finished in fifth place, a two-time All-American um experiencing the gosh what is it called the parade of all americans that is so cool why is that not on tv um i thought that was the coolest thing and what a fun thing to experience as an athlete because i mean once marcus coleman finished in the morning he was done so like i think it, it was fun to be able to see him and all of the other guys who became all americans be able to come out and have a moment on the stage and do the little lap they do together i thought that was super cool so but marcus coleman fifth place finish i think even though it wasn't obviously what he wanted he obviously wanted to go for the gold he wanted i'm sure after he lost um Gosh, the one match now I'm, as I'm staring at it, I'm seeing 
blurs as he got sent to the back of the bracket to try and wrestle for third. I'm sure he wanted to finish in third place. Um, still an improvement. Again, that's one of those things where you don't really feel it because you knew there more could be done. Um, it was good to see Marcus finish higher. It was good to see him become a two-time All-American. My favorite picture I took this entire weekend was the moment he became a two-time All-American. Um, just cause you know what a special moment it's been for him and really for the program too. I mean, Marcus started right when dresser started, like this was, this is a guy who's been with them since the moment they started coaching this team. So I think it was one of those little bittersweet moments and it's definitely fun to talk to St. John and really pick his brain about Coleman since he's done a lot of things with him and they're two very similar guys, which is why I thought it was funny when in my interview with him, I asked him, I don't even know what we were talking about. And he said that Coleman handles losing really well. And I had Coleman tell me the opposite, like a few days before (laughs) they left. When I asked, when I was interviewing Coleman for the senior feature, I wrote on them. He was like, yeah, I'm kind of a sore loser. (laughs) But I think it's one of those things where, as Kyvin Gadsden has told me, once you get to the end, it's it's the end. You kind of start to process maybe a loss a little differently or you start to wrestle a little more free. And I think you could see that in Marcus Coleman, which was really exciting to see because my guy has, I think, been on edge the whole season. <laughs> so it was, fine. it was fun to finally kind of see his, I don't know, his emotions on his face where you could tell he was a little more relaxed. He'd kind of, he'd really kind of come to terms with how he was going to finish. And our interview with him after all, all of it was said and done was I thought very enjoyable too. Like I said, he seemed so much more relaxed and yeah, it was great. I great, great career for Marcus Coleman is one of the most improved cyclones. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I liked his tournament quite a bit. Um, like you said, one of the, the most for sure improved wrestler under Kevin dresser and probably one of the most improved cyclones ever, um, to become a two time all American, to get better every single season. Last year, he placed seventh, this year he placed fifth and coming to the tournament. If you would ask me what place Marcus Coleman is going to finish, I'd be like, yeah, fifth, maybe fourth <laughs> at best. So him getting fifth meets expectations and he wrestled really well. He beat uh, Michigan's Matt Feinsilver to become an All-American. And Feinsilver, I know, was a previous All-American. So he beat a really good guy to become an All-American. And, I mean, the two guys he loses to are Trey Munoz from Oregon State, who he lost to earlier in the year. And then Trent Hidley, who has been a finalist, what, once, twice? So, I mean, this is a guy who wrestles for championships. And, unfortunately, Marcus lost to him. And that happens. So, no, really happy with Marcus's tournament. Really happy that Marcus was a cyclone. Um, I've told this story maybe on this podcast for sure on Twitter, but I was in the room when Marcus Coleman committed to Iowa state. I was interviewing former Iowa state coach, Kevin Jackson for a different feature I was writing. Um, and he said, well, it was hold on real quick. And it's, I think I got some good news coming and Marcus Coleman and his mom walk in. They Kevin and the Paulson brothers take Marcus to a different office. Um, and all and within five minutes, all I hear is cheering and clapping. And uh <laughs> Kevin Jackson comes in and he's like, We got him. He just committed to Iowa State. Um, and then he gave me Marcus's whole background of what he did at Ames and 
Iowa state champions and all that fun stuff. And then he said, and I think the statute of limitations is probably passed. Marcus has now graduated. Kevin Jackson's at a different school. He, because technically head coaches aren't allowed to talk about recruits. He said, Iowa was really gunning for Marcus Coleman toward the end. Iowa, the brands brothers really wanted to get Marcus away from Iowa state. Uh, they wanted Marcus to be a Hawkeye. So Kevin Jackson felt really, really happy that he was able to keep Marcus a cyclone and what he was, what Coleman was able to do as a cyclone was phenomenal. I'm happy. Obviously Jackie wrote a phenomenal story, um, about Coleman and Skyler as a senior feature. And Marcus said, he's like, there was never a second thought of becoming a cyclone, but obviously Kevin Jackson at the time, he felt a little bit nervous that I was making a push. And Jackie said this before dresser said, it's hard to recruit. And I was sometimes because a lot of guys have their bedrooms painted black and gold, but Carmen Coleman, uh, he was a cyclone through and through. So shout out to him. Yeah. And I think my favorite thing that he said, and he said it to me one-on-one and then he said it this weekend. So then everyone got their moment with the sound bite, but Coleman used to be the little kid that got all the autographs from the wrestlers and the coaches. And, you know, he was at the duels when he was little and he grew up to be that athlete. He grew up to be the guy. And you know what? I'll give it to this staff member. So the way the the setup is, they don't allow us the media to go on the sides of the mat when they have the eight and six mat configurations. And so when Coleman came off the mat, you could see it from the opposite side of where we were standing. Um, cause I had sprinted to the other side already. Cause we got to interview them in this very specific spot and it was away from his mat and Coleman stopped to like, shake hands, sign autographs. And I was staring at it at that moment. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, it's literally what he's talked about with me in our interview a week ago. And so the event staff that was supposed to, you know, tell me, Hey, you need to move, looked at me and said, you're thinking about it. Just sprint over there. He's technically not supposed to let me do that. Cause I think he is. <laughs> no, he's for- not. ESPN specifically did not want us in camera shot, but the guy was like, just go ahead. I won't say anything, <laughs> but Shout out to that guy, that doesn't I, know. Happen often. I know I was so nervous, but Coleman started walking towards us and I missed the moment, but it's all right because I got the shot of him blowing kisses up probably to his mom and his girlfriend and probably all of the Iowa state student section up in that upper deck. But Yeah. I just, I thought it was funny that that guy was like, you're thinking about it. Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, yeah. Heck of a career for Coleman. He said he plans on continuing on wrestling. So hopefully, you know, in an ideal world for Iowa state fans, he'll stay in aims. He'll do it in the CRTC and we'll be able to keep, you know, keep a close eye on what he's up to. So, and he said he wants to coach. So who knows where that'll take him. It would not surprise me if he doesn't become a volunteer assistant for Iowa State, work closely with the CRTC. Um, I think that would do wonders for a guy like Younger. Mm-hmm. I think it would do wonders for a guy like Tate Noctiborn, who's a top, what, top five pound-for-pound recruit coming in next year who's going to be at or near that weight. If that kid can feel what Marcus Coleman is like now, be like, okay, this is the level you have to get to every single day in a practice room. I think that would do wonders for Noctiborn. Um, I... Yes. I'd be surprised if Marcus doesn't stick around in Ames. I hope he does obviously for more than a few reasons. So um, yeah, Marcus being with the CRTC and being a volunteer assistant, I think makes a lot of sense. Hopefully it happens. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll have to wait. We'll have to wait and see. 
I'm sure all these guys are trying to get vacations in, trying to eat their weight. And, yes, they're, they're all hitting the buffet right now. That's that's definitely <laughs> happening. Um. So final match of the tournament, David Carr rematch with Keegan O'Toole. I know that we have gotten to a place where David Carr's Mr. Consistency. He's so fun. He's so talented. I stand by what I said that if David had won this title, he had every, everything I felt he needed to win the Hodge, especially after Spencer Lee got pinned. But unfortunately that's not a conversation we're going to have because obviously he came in runner up, um, going into this match. And I never said this publicly because I can be superstitious and whatever. I just don't like to talk about it. I had a feeling that a third matchup within what a month, a month. Yep. I just felt that David's look wasn't as intact (laughs) only because I felt key. I said this to you earlier. I felt like David had everything to lose in this. I mean, he was on a two win streak against him. You know, most anticipated matchup, beat him in the first one, beat him for the Big 12 title. I just felt that the third one, David had everything to lose and Keegan had nothing to lose. Keegan had already lost twice. People were expecting him to lose anyways from a seeding purposes. And just, again, he'd already lost to him twice. But if you watched Keegan O'Toole's um, post-semifinal matchup, uh, presser he did for the NCAA you could just tell. You could just tell that he was in a very relaxed um, approach to it. He, You could just tell that he truly was just going to go out there and let it fly and just not overthink it. I obviously did not speak to David, so this is not me saying this is what David Carr said. I just feel like maybe in his brain, the way he walked into it was having that super confident, like I'm going to win this uh, mentality that almost in a way could have underestimated O'Toole. And again, this is me just speaking from having watched them and kind of just reading maybe the way they did their interviews. But I asked coach about it and coach said the same thing that he couldn't really, you know, put words in his mouth for David, but that you know, David was very confident and that's always a good thing, but maybe sometimes that can be the reason, you know, it gets in the way. Um, but yeah, I guess as, as defeated as it was to see him lose, I just kind of in my head was already kind of mentally prepared for that to be a possibility. Yeah, that was a tough match. Um, I think you're spot on about Keegan having nothing to lose and David having kind of everything to lose. Because if you go back to their first match, it was the opposite. Keegan had everything to lose. He was the returning national champ. He was the number one ranked guy. He was the junior world gold medalist. And obviously, David was all those things as well. But O'Toole is number one. So David had nothing to lose. And he wins that match 7-2. to two. Big 12 finals, like, all right, David won the first one. What's going to happen in the second? They probably feel pretty even. No one feels like they should win. No one feels like they should lose. And it goes to sudden victory. Obviously, David pins him in sudden victory. And then this one, it's the reverse, right? O'Toole has nothing to lose. David has everything to lose and it's eight to two decision. So uh, there, I think there's some parallel. There's some parallels there about how guys wrestle when they're free. And you, you mentioned that with Marcus Coleman, he's it's the end of his career. He's going to wrestle free. And he did 
O'Toole probably felt like he had nothing to lose. He was on his offense quite a bit more than he was in the Big 12 um, championship. O'Toole made some really good adjustments, especially in some scramble situations. Um, Carr looked like he was going to get another cradle. I think that was in the second period. Uh, but O'Toole maintained much better position than he did in the Big 12 championship. He's obviously in the Big 12 championship. He got cradled and pinned. This time, um, he kept his ear next to his shoulder, so David couldn't quite get that cradle locked up. Then David tried to battle the grip of O'Toole. He did break the grip, but unfortunately, the ref said reaction time said no takedown. So um, that's not a gripe that I have with the refs like I do with Sam Schuyler. That's just a call. It's a judgment call. I understand that one. Um, unfortunately, that's a call that didn't go David's way. That happens. Um, I think that if call does go differently. I think it's a, uh, we're looking at a different match in the third period because O'Toole mm-hmm. in the first period got a takedown right out. This would have been a takedown in the right out for Carr in the second period. So it would have been tied um, three, th- well, it would have been, been three to two. And then someone would have gotten escaped in the third. It would have been tied three, three in the third period. And David probably wrestled that match differently in the third. Unfortunately, David sure. had to really open it up against O'Toole in the third period. And when you kind of start going crazy against O'Toole as a really good scrambler, really good counter wrestler, things go poorly for you. And unfortunately, David found himself on his back for a little bit, got near foul points against him. So um, tough match for David. I think it's one where if you're an Iowa State fan, don't be concerned long-term. David's going to be great. He'll be oh, yeah. He'll be right back in it uh, next year. I don't know. I was talking with um, a few people over the weekend. O'Toole is a big 65-pounder. I hope he stays at 65, but I could see him bumping up to 74. I think David's going to stay at 65. So just for this rivalry stake sake, I'd like to see O'Toole stick it out at 65. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year between these two. And because they are going to meet again and a lot, right? And and again, they've both consistently said they look forward to this. And I watched O'Toole's presser after a semifinal match. And he said it was a blessing having someone like David Carr move up. He's such an elite wrestler and has been for a while. I hate losing, but those losses are much more important and much more valuable to my character and how I bounce back. Well, he suffered two of them and he bounced back in when it mattered most. And so, yeah, no, I, like you said, I'm not worried about David if anything, this is just going to make David even better, which sometimes I'm like, how much better can David Carr get? <laughs> um, but no, I think it's going to be a fun rivalry. It's going to be phenomenal wrestling. And I just want to give a shout out to Keegan O'Toole, whose walkout song is Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. <laughs> if you don't know oh. what Keegan O'Toole looks like, I recommend you look because he just has, he's a, he has a baby face. He, he looks, looks like he's 12. Yeah, he legitimately does. And that's why podium, I'm going to have to find these podium pictures and share them on Twitter because you have Quincy Monday in third place, smiling ear to ear. Was it third place? Yeah. Smiling ear to ear, just ha- having a great time up there. You have David, who's very emotional because he's in second place. And then you have Keegan O'Toole's baby face. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so funny how like, just like, drastic the differences in like all of their just like body shapes or demeanors or facial features it's just it's so funny um but it also i think what makes this rivalry really fun and i hope that it continues is there's so much respect between the two and even with same with david and quincy they have such 
great relationship with each other, even after their fathers really hated each other when they were in college. Um, there's just so much sportsmanship between these guys. And it's, it's really great to see the way, you know, they were embracing each other on the podium. And if people want to talk about pictures and showing symbols, I got a picture of David, like with his hand on Keegan's back when they turned everyone to face the crowd and Keegan's holding up his first place trophy. So I was like, well, that's kind of a symbolic moment. Maybe next year it'll <laughs> look a little different for David, but no, it was good wrestling. And it's, I don't know. It'll just be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, David bounce back. Cause I mean, he put on a phenomenal season after, you know, bouncing back from a tough loss last year. So I can only imagine what's in store for his final year. And that's, that's my take with it. <laughs> um, but Yeah season is officially over. What are your last thoughts or really your last takeaway from this conversation of them at NCAAs? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of promise for next year. Obviously you're going to lose guys like Sam Schuyler, Marcus Coleman, and that's going to hurt a little bit, quite a bit. Actually, one's an all American. One could have been an all American probably should have been had a ref made a different call. Um, mm -hmm. I'll get off that. <laughs> I promise. But so you're going to lose those guys, but there's a lot of returning talent and a lot of young talent that's going to be infused in this lineup next year. And that is very exciting. And you get, like we said earlier, you get young guys like Zach Redding, Casey Sverdersky, who, boy, they got quite a bit of motivation. They were a match away, a takedown away from becoming all Americans themselves. So um, I, I like what the future holds for Iowa State. We've said that a lot since Dresser got here and every year they've gotten better. Mm -hmm. Granted, this year I wanted to take a bigger step than what they did, but um, next year could could be really good. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, yeah, like like we've said, it's like the expectations continue to grow, and they and they should. That's what they that's what the coaches want. Their expectations are just as high, if not higher, than maybe what ours are. But that's good. That's a sign that this team is progressing in a healthy way where we're expecting them to be in the top 10. And it's not just us, it's everyone. Um, so no, I I look forward to it. I think a lot of these young guys are hungry. Like we've seen kids are coming out of high school, just even better. They are just 10 times better than what freshmen were when Marcus Coleman committed. So it's just going to keep getting better. I'm excited to see, you know, how this team bounces back. Um, I'm excited to keep being around the coaches and seeing what they can do. I don't think I've ever interviewed this team harder in my life <laughs> than I did this past weekend. So I hope, I hope I asked enough questions and that everyone got the answers they were looking for. You did but, great. Thank you. You, you left me when you retired. So I had no choice. <laughs> That's right. Who else is going to ask the questions? <laughs> I went from not speaking at a single thing <laughs> to, you know what? I will tell you what I used to get really shaky. Like my hands would literally shake as I knew my turn was coming and my heart rate would go up. And I noticed at the end of the weekend, I, that didn't happen once. So I've, nice. I've outgrown you. that I've outgrown it. I'm officially to the point where I don't even think about it anymore. 
No, Ben, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Um, like I said, Ben and I will be back because Brett Metcalf will be joining us for our last episode of the season, which is going to be so fun because he's going to be so a ton fun. of fun. Yeah. I mean, Brett Metcalf is an incredible interview. Seven minutes with him is fun. I can imagine <laughs> the 45 minutes we're going to force him into. Oh boy. <laughs> Does um, he know what he's in for? No, he just said, tell me a date. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Um, thanks so much for listening guys. I hope you enjoyed all of our rambling. I'm guessing this is an hour and a half episode at this point. Oops. It's, it's what the people want. It's what I hear. It's what I hear in the DMS. So if, <laughs> if Chris Williams is listening to the end of this podcast, it's what people told me. Um, thank you so much to fairway as always. None of this coverage would be possible without them. So thanks so much to them. Like I said, send them a thank you. Cause I wouldn't have been at NCAAs or big 12s if it wasn't for them. So extremely grateful to continue to work with them. And as they continue to support our, you know, not only the podcast, but really all of wrestling content for Iowa state coverage, but yeah, thanks for listening guys. And we'll be back.